I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today I'm going to be continuing my personal life lesson series where I just unpack key experiences in my life and my walk with Christ and the important spiritual truths that I gleaned from those experiences. And so many of these truths, God is still working in my heart and life. So I pray they've been an encouragement to you. If you haven't caught the first few episodes, you can feel free to go back and listen to those. I share a lot of stories from early in marriage, early in ministry, and just those significant moments where I learned a spiritual lesson that is still with me today. Today, I want to talk about spiritual sloppiness. I went through a season of spiritual sloppiness in our early ministry days, and God actually used that season to really impact me. And the lessons that I learned then are still with me today. So I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that registration for our 2023 Set Apart Conference is now open. If you'd like to join us in June of next year, we would love to have you. It's such a powerful weekend of connecting with like-minded women from all around the world and just immersing in amazing life-changing truth. Also, if you are desiring a longer season to come away from the distractions of daily life and just sit at Jesus' feet, I encourage you to check out our Ellerslie Discipleship Programs. 2023 registration is now open for our five-week programs and our week-long program. So it's just an amazing opportunity to come to our beautiful campus in Colorado and just sit at Jesus' feet. You can click the links in this podcast description, or you can go to ellersley.com or setapartgirl.com to learn more. Let's talk about overcoming spiritual sloppiness. Early in our marriage and ministry, Eric and I were very purposeful about keeping Christ the center of our life and making sure that he was truly the focal point of our existence and not allowing things into our life that would dull us spiritually or put a hindrance or a barrier in between us and our relationship with Christ. But once we stepped into full-time ministry, things subtly began to change. Public ministry was very grueling. As I've shared in other episodes, there was so much spiritual warfare, and we really didn't have the tools then that we have now to stand strong against all the attacks that were coming against us. We also didn't really have the understanding of the enabling grace of God. So we were looking to our own strength and our own resources to tackle the tasks that were in front of us, and we were getting more and more burned out. And so as a reprieve from just the emotional weights and the pressures that we are feeling, we begin to slowly start spending our time less and less on the things of God and more and more on frivolous, meaningless distractions. Not all of these distractions were necessarily bad, but it got to the point where every time we had a free night or every time I had a free afternoon, which wasn't really very often because we were traveling and speaking almost every weekend and we were just exhausted all the time. But whenever we did have a break or maybe at the end of a a a ministry weekend, we would end up, you know, binge watching some show or some movie series or something. Or I would end up, you know, devouring a John Grisham novel or, you know, some sort of magazine series or whatever. And my free time was no longer about sitting at the feet of Jesus, immersing in his truth, memorizing his word, or really drawing closer to him. It was just sort of a survival mode where I was just looking to anything to distract my heart and mind from the pain and the pressures in my life. Now, I didn't really think a few pop culture pastimes would harm me as long as I was careful, you know, to stay family friendly and just be guarded, not not drop my standards too much. But over the period of time when this became a focal point where really 
our passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ was replaced with just pop culture distractions and frivolous entertainment. I didn't even realize my prayer life had really faded. I did have quiet times, but they were sort of lackluster. We had prayer times, but they were more short and broad in general. There was really no spiritual passion there. We were just in a mode of survival and distraction. (laughs) And we had had a lot of Christian leaders actually tell us that this was healthy and good. I remember one pastor saying, you know, you can't be spiritual all the time. Sometimes you're just going to need to unplug from all of that and take time for you. And of course, those seemed like wise words, and we lived a very demanding life. So we didn't really see anything wrong with what we were doing. And we didn't even recognize that there had been a spiritual sloppiness that had crept in because we were no longer passionately pursuing Jesus Christ. We began to somewhat lower our standards for the kind of shows we would watch, the kind of books that we would read. And the more comfortable I became with pop culture, worldly ideas and messages, the easier it became for subtle sins to creep into my life. I was struggling with self-pity, laziness, selfishness, even unforgiveness towards people in ministry who had let me down. And just compromise had become more normal to me. I wasn't keeping a close guard over my soul. And because those things had crept in gradually, it was really easy to excuse them and allow them to remain in my life. I was very preoccupied and weighed down by the cares of my life, and I was very immersed in cultural distractions. My spiritual life wasn't thriving, even though I was still believing all the right things and saying all the right things, and I didn't have some huge stumble in my life in some obvious way. There was just not that same spiritual fervor that I had had before. I didn't recognize what was happening in my spiritual life until one day when Eric and I were sitting in a green room backstage getting ready to go out to a mega church platform and speak. And the worship team was was back there with us and they were kind of in their own little world just prepping to go out. But instead of really getting their hearts ready spiritually, they were talking about frivolous things. They were talking about jokes they heard on Saturday Night Live. They were talking about movies they had watched. They were talking about sports. A lot of the jokes they were even telling were kind of definitely not godly. And they were laughing about them. And it was like they were just completely immersed in pop culture things. And then the pastor walked in and he said, okay, guys, we have one minute to start. They said this really quick prayer zoomed out there. And then next thing you know, they're just like worshiping, raising their hands, acting all sincere. And it made me upset because I thought that they're such hypocrites. You know, they're not really seeking after God. They're totally focused on worldly things. And then two seconds later, they're out there acting like they're they're so focused on Jesus Christ. But the moment I felt that sort of rise up within me, God immediately convicted me and said, you know, you have allowed the same compromise in your own life. Now, I wasn't necessarily watching the same shows as them, them, and I wasn't necessarily telling those kind of jokes backstage like they were, but I began to recognize it was the same sort of double standard, where my heart and my mind were captivated by worldly things, by shallow things, by things that would not last for eternity, and yet with my mouth, with my ministry, I was proclaiming a message of total givenness to Jesus Christ. I had been so frustrated with seeing compromise in the church and seeing hypocrisy and mediocrity within the church. But I hadn't recognized that in my own life, I had allowed so many of those same things to creep in under the banner of, hey, I just need a break. I just need time for me. 
And so I began to really repent of leaving my first love. That was what God convicted me of. You know, you have allowed this sloppiness into your spiritual life. You are no longer pursuing me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've become weighed down by cares and distractions. You have become distracted by things that won't last. And so I went back to that verse in Revelation that talks about leaving your first love. And I made a decision, Lord, I want you to be my first love, even if I'm walking through very stressful times, even if I'm carrying weights and burdens in ministry, I don't, I'm not going to find what I'm seeking in worldly distractions. I'm only going to find what I'm seeking at your feet. Now, it's not like all entertainment was bad or I was being convicted, hey, never watch a movie again. It was just that that was where I was turning. That was what was what was satisfying me instead of Jesus Christ. And as a result, my standards were lowering. I was allowing sinful, ungodly thoughts into my mind and heart. And I I had put my relationship with Christ on the back burner. So I began to pray a prayer, Lord, I ask that you would send a revival to the modern church, but I ask that it would start with me. And God began to walk me through a personal revival season that I still remember to this day. It became the foundation of everything that he was calling us to in future ministry. Eric and I both were walking through a similar process. All of the lessons that we learned over those next few years as we began to say, Lord, we want to seek you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't want a spiritual sloppiness in our life. We want to be sharp spiritually. We want to not just fit you into our lives, but build our lives around you. All of those those principles that we learned about going after God with everything we have became the foundation for everything that we teach today at Ellerslie and through Set Apart. And so it's amazing how God will leverage those times in our life when we've fallen short, we've stumbled, and then we repent and turn. Repentance means we recognize we're headed over a cliff. We turn, we ask his forgiveness, and by the grace of God, we turn and walk the other direction. That is what Eric and I began to do by God's grace. We repented of worldliness and compromise that we'd given into, and we allow God's spirit to shine his search light deep within our souls and purge away that dross of selfishness and sinful habits and just spiritual mediocrity. We became broken again over our sin and truly hungry for his righteousness in our life. And the the pop culture preoccupations that had once seemed very important to us didn't have an attraction to us anymore. We wanted to press into Jesus Christ and we began to press into him with more fervency than we ever had, even back in the early days of our conversions. We had an even greater hunger. So it's really amazing how God can leverage these situations when we recognize we've fallen short and we repent and turn and we say, Lord, I want to turn and walk the opposite direction. That's exactly what God will do in our lives. And like I said, those lessons that we learned spiritually during that personal revival season as God was uprooting spiritual sloppiness from our lives was a turning point in our Christian lives. And we still live according to those principles and teach those principles today. I love the promise in God's word that those who diligently seek him will find him. And that is what we found so true in that season when we recognized we had allowed compromise in. And then we began to say, Lord, we want to diligently seek you. We do not want to live in a state of mediocrity. It was incredible how as we sought him, we found him and we found him at a deeper level than we ever had before. We began to ask God to give us his grace to pursue him with spiritual fervor, to never lose our spiritual fervor, to allow that spiritual passion to remain and not fade to a flame. 
flicker. And I can honestly say that when we prayed that prayer, Lord, send a revival and let it begin with us. Our spiritual lives have never been the same since. It's not that we've never had moments of, of dullness or where God has to convict us. Hey, you're starting to get a little bit sloppy. You're letting down your spiritual guard, but we're so much more aware of it now when it's happening. And there are certain principles that we've learned that protect us from sliding back into that state of spiritual sloppiness. So I want to share with you four practical ways, biblical ways to overcome and avoid spiritual sloppiness in your life. And these are principles that I have learned and lived by ever since that first season of my life when God so deeply convicted me of living this way. The first is not to compare yourself to others. 2 Corinthians 10 12 says, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Isn't that so true? We so often justify things in our lives that we know are not leading us closer to Jesus Christ because we see other Christians participating in them. Other Christians don't seem to have a problem spending all their free time on this or that. And so we think, well, you know, I'm doing better than that person or, hey, that Christian person does this and I don't do that. You know, they have much lower standards than me. So we start to compare ourselves and we set our standard based on what we see around us. And that begins to be the catalyst for how we make decisions of what we should be watching and listening to and how we should be spending our time. The voice that we should be listening to when it comes to those daily decisions is the still small voice of God's spirit. It's that gentle voice of God's conviction, and we can only hear it if we have a truly surrendered heart, if we really want to hear what he has to say. I mean, think about Jonah. God was speaking to him, but he didn't want to hear God, so he ran in the opposite direction, and God had to keep turning up the volume to get his attention finally. And for us, the more surrendered we are, the more gentle and subtle his voice can be, and we begin to recognize it so much quicker when our hearts are tuned to him. But we need to ask ourselves, Lord, do I really want want to hear you? Or am I, am I stopping my ears? Am I blocking my ears from hearing what your spirit wants to say about this decision or this pastime? If we really want to hear him, he will guide our steps. He will give us that nudge of caution whenever caution is needed. He will remind us, hey, is this really the best use of your time right now? Is this pastime or activity drawing you closer to me or pulling you further away from me. He's the one who convicts us and nudges us and guides us and directs us and keeps us on that path of spiritual pursuit, spiritual fervor, where we don't let down our guard. It doesn't really matter if we see other Christians participating in something or living a certain way. The key is, what has he called us to? Are we living lives that are seeking him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and be willing to remove anything that would stand in the way of our relationship with him? Amy Carmichael said, anything that would hinder us from the closest walk possible with Jesus Christ is not for us. And that became my motto early in our ministry when I began to be convicted of spiritual sloppiness. I shouldn't just compare myself to what other Christians are doing or what other Christian leaders say is fine. If I know it's something that's actually dulling me spiritually and pulling me away from Jesus Christ, it's not worth it. It doesn't belong in my life. So stop comparing ourselves to other people and begin to tune in to that gentle, convicting voice of God's spirit. He is so faithful to gently lead and guide our every decision when we tune our ears to him rather than just comparing ourselves to those around us. 
The second principle is to ask how much, not how little. Amy Carmichael said, ours should not be the love that asks how little, but how much. So instead of approaching our relationship with Christ and say, well, how little can I give to him? How little of my time, how little of my focus, we need to be asking, how much can I give to the one who gave everything for me? She talks about the fact that if we really catch a glimpse of who he is and what he has done for us, we will delight to pour out everything for him and to revel in the fact that we have anything that we can offer to him in the first place. And it's a mindset shift. Instead of asking how little, we begin to ask how much. Whenever we talk about overcoming spiritual sloppiness and not letting our guard down spiritually, it's really easy to bristle at the thought of a a spiritual life that is on fire and a higher standard of living, a, a standard of living that puts Jesus Christ in his rightful place. Often the reason we bristle at that idea is because we have selfish vices in our life that we really don't want to give up. Let God show you if that might be the reason that you're hesitating. Are you asking him, how little can I give you or how much can I give you? If you find that you are asking that question, how little, and your heart needs to change, just come before God and ask him to do that miracle within your soul, to give you that fresh, clear vision of what he has done for you, and to give you that sense of awe. Lord, it is such a privilege to offer my entire life, all of my time, all of my resources, All of this belongs to you because of what you have saved me from. I've told that story before where one time when I was listening to my audio Bible, it got stuck on the crucifixion scene for like three days in a row. Something was glitchy about the app. So I was listening to the the crucifixion scene over and over again. And finally, like on the third day, it dawned on me a little more clearly exactly what Jesus had done for me. I don't think any of us can ever fully comprehend it. But I had this sense of awe. Wow. He gave up everything for me just to redeem and rescue me. Why do I hold anything back? Why do I act like these are the areas of my life I need to protect and keep away from him? It just brought me to that place of, Lord, I want to surrender everything to you. And I remember kneeling in my bathroom on the floor because that's where I had the the audio Bible playing. I was getting ready in the morning or something. And I just was, Lord, I want to freshly surrender my life to you because I recognize afresh what you have done for me. So let's not ask how little, but how much. The third practical is to let love be your motive. When we are talking about removing spiritual sloppiness from our lives, it is so easy to start letting our choices and decisions for set apart living come from an attitude of duty rather than joyful surrender. Sometimes it it comes from a, a good motive. It's the motive to be right with God, but then we start buying the lie that it's all up to us to stay on the straight and narrow path. And we start doing all the right things, but for all the wrong reasons, we fall into legalism, we lose our joy, and we feel weighted down by the idea of being spiritually on fire for Christ or living set apart for him. As we've talked about this verse in Jude one twenty four before on other episodes, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I love that because he is the one who keeps us from stumbling when we abide in him.
Our job is not to make some list of set-apart rules to obey and start putting our trust in and building our lives around. Our focus needs to be on abiding in Christ, pursuing Him, building a relationship with Him, not just fitting Him into our life, building our lives around the pursuit of Him. Because when we abide in Him, when we stay connected to the vine, He will keep us from stumbling. It's not because of a list of rules that we make for ourselves. It's because of a relationship that we have with the King of all kings. First John 3, 6 says, whoever abides in him does not sin. When we are in that place of abiding, he guides us, he directs us, he purifies us from sin. He convicts us when conviction is needed. Our lives can only become pure and pleasing to him as an outflow of daily soul intimacy with Jesus Christ. And that brings incredible freedom because when it comes to living set apart, we are to focus on abiding in him and let him do the rest by his grace. That is what will protect us from falling into the trap of legalism because love for him needs to be our motive, not, oh, I just want to clean up my life. So therefore I'm going to make a whole bunch of rules for myself. Abiding in him is the single most important step to being set free from the bondage of legalism. So if you are struggling with that, if your decisions and actions and lifestyle looks clean on the outside, but it's not really flowing from that place of passionate love for Jesus Christ, I encourage you to go after the abiding life. There's some amazing classic books that can get you started. Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray is one of my favorites or The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer or Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. These are all those classics about what does it mean to stay connected to the vine morning, noon, night, all through the day, all through the night. Let's not base our decisions on legalism, but on our overwhelming, passionate love for the one who gave everything for us. When God began to convict me about spiritual sloppiness, he did not direct me to just start living a legalistic life. He directed me to pursue more of him, to go after him, to build relationship with him. Now, I want to encourage you that as you start to learn about the abiding life and go after him and seek him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, don't base it on emotion. It doesn't always mean you're going to have an emotional high when you're going after Jesus, but if you center your life, your focus around him, you can be sure he will begin to do a powerful work in your life and you will begin to sense his presence and you will begin to sense a connection to the vine like never before. The fourth principle is to remember the old paths. And when I say old paths, I'm referring to triumphant Christianity, the kind of Christianity that you see in the New Testament, the kind of Christianity you see throughout history, the kind of Christianity that you sometimes only catch glimpses of in today's world. But so many of us have that hunger for something more in our Christian life. We don't want to succumb to mediocrity. Maybe we see spiritual apathy all around us, but we have this hunger. There's got to be more to the Christian life than this. And that is a hunger God has given us because there is more to the Christian life than just going through the motions. Eric often calls it Irish elk Christianity. The Irish elk is an extinct elk, but he used to stand like incredibly tall with these antlers or horns that were just almost as big as he was. And it was just this majestic creature, which is now extinct. But in some accounts, it says rare sightings have been seen. And so it's kind of like Christianity. We catch this epic vision of what Christianity is meant to be triumphant and victorious and heroic. And we think, well, 
maybe it's extinct, but every once in a while you catch a glimpse of the real thing. And when you have that hunger for the real thing, when you're not satisfied with just going through the motions, you're not satisfied with mediocre Christian living, that's actually a very good sign because it means God is stirring you towards something more. As Eric and I often say, pursuing Christ is like an endless frontier. You don't just take a few steps into the endless frontier and then pitch your tent and, and stay satisfied with that. It's, it's amazing when you take a few steps into his endless frontier, but he has so much more for us to discover of who he is. And that's what it means to pursue and remember those old paths. I've often quoted Leonard Ravenhill on this podcast. He was a a fiery preacher and prayer warrior and evangelist. And when he told his testimony when he was 84 years old, he talked about becoming saved when he was 14 years old through the example of his dad. His dad was a laborer, didn't have much money, but his dad got wonderfully born again and began to take him to these all-night prayer meetings. Anytime there was anyone who had that true spiritual fire, his dad would take him to those, those, to hear those men speak. And his dad's spiritual passion still remained an influence on Leonard Ravenhill's life, even when he was 84 years old, when his dad had been dead and gone for decades, that spiritual passion stayed with Leonard Ravenhill because he, and he said in his interview, I keep looking to Jesus and remembering the old paths that my daddy used to talk about so much. And that's what he was referring to, that that beautiful, all-in-for-Jesus type of Christianity that we don't see very often today, but we know God has stirred us toward. Now, those old paths, that that kind of heroic, Christ-centered Christianity, is not about looking to examples of people who are perfect, because you're never going to find that, but look to the examples of people who pursue Jesus Christ with a passionate devotion, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as you read those biographies or read the New Testament or catch that vision of what God intended Christianity to be, you begin to recognize there is so much more for me to discover. Let me not pitch my tent in the realm of spiritual sloppiness. So if we're looking to overcome or prevent spiritual sloppiness, this is really what it all boils down to. When you truly catch a glimpse of Jesus and fall in love with him, You won't focus on what you're giving up or asking that question, how little can I give you, Lord? Your love for him will become so great that the cry of your heart will echo the words of a martyr from the Middle Ages who, when he died, said this, 10,000 deaths would be too few to express my love for him. That's incredible. There is more to Christianity than what many of us experience today. There is more to intimacy with Jesus than just going through the motions and living in a state of spiritual sloppiness. It's not just about adopting a few Christian morals and being a part of a Christian social club called church. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about a love relationship with him. That and that alone is what will protect us from spiritual sloppiness. Let's make the decision by the grace of God to overcome spiritual sloppiness and not just fit him into our lives, but build our lives around him. Let's never forget, he is worth it. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into living a set-apart life, I invite you to visit our website, setapartgirl.com, and check out the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.